Okay, let's start over. Welcome. I am uh, very glad that you are here with us this morning, and we are very excited to be gathering around God's Word and gathering in worship. And even though we're not physically, we're not all physically in the same place, and we love each other and we love the Lord. So what we're doing right now is we're going through a series. We're continuing our series called This is Jesus, and it's a trip through the book of Matthew. And one of the things that I love about Matthew is that Matthew presents who Jesus is as a person. He also presents what Jesus actually did and the specific things that Jesus taught. And as believers, uh, we, we approach Jesus. We don't make up who we want Jesus to be. We look into God's word and we say, Jesus, who did you tell us that you were? And so uh, I, I am just really looking forward to this morning. We're going to be considering this morning the difference between religion and a relationship with Christ. What does it mean to pursue religious activity versus what does it mean to have a personal relationship with the God of this universe? I, I am very excited about our life groups and kind of what we have going on there. And, and one of the things that is so cool is that at Foothills Church and in our life groups and in our church, and this is a place where it is safe for people to be honest and real. We don't come here and pretend to be somebody we're not. If we have questions about things, we're, we are open and willing to ask those questions. It's a, it's a place that's safe to struggle and uh, to go through difficult things and to be around people that love you and that care about you. But this is a place, most of all, that is focused on living out a genuine relationship with Christ. Uh, a place that's focused on building a life on faithfulness to God and to his word. So as we look into this passage this morning, uh, I want to just consider the definition of religion. So I just looked that up in the dictionary, and religion is a personal set or institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices. So it can be something that people come up with on their own, or it could be something that they learn from a group. It is a cause, a principle, or a system of beliefs held to with faith, uh, something that we believe and that we trust. Here's a problem with religion is religion and a commitment to religious beliefs that is separate from a personal relationship with Christ is absolutely useless. And we're going to see that in our passage, and we have been seeing that as we look at the, the religion of Judaism, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, and how they specifically responded to him. Look at Luke chapter 18. We're going to see a story of two people, Luke 18:10. And uh, Jesus is telling this story about a religious man and a sinner. And let's just notice this. It says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And we've learned in Matthew that the Pharisees were the righteous religious people. The tax gatherers were the sinners, the ones rejected and, and viewed as very low. And it says here in verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. Um, if we were to kind of summarize what his response was, Basically, in his prayer, he just says, I'm a good person. 
And we're going to learn that what the Bible tells us, and our first point we'll see this morning, that, that the things that we say reflect what is in our heart. And the problem with this Pharisee was not just the words that he said, it's that they flowed from his heart. He felt like he was a good person. And that's what religion does. The pursuit of religion is people defining their own set of morals, deciding what's good, and pursuing those things, and having a sense that they are good. And how Jesus finishes this story is really powerful. Look at verse 13. It says, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This tax collector actually saw himself accurately. The reality is that everybody is a sinner. That Pharisee was a sinner. Every single person is a sinner. Not good enough to make it into heaven. Not deserving of a relationship with God. And this is what Jesus says in verse 14. I tell you, this man, speaking of the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. Here's the problem. Religion actually hinders people from coming to God. And we see that here. Religion does not save. It's a relationship with Christ that saves. Religion is something that is defined by men, or actually we see in Scripture, religion is even defined by Satan himself. But Jesus is the one who defines what it means to have a relationship with him. You know, I think about some sermons preached in the book of Acts, and we're about to jump into this passage in Matthew, but it's amazing. So when you look at after Jesus dies and resurrects and, and Peter is preaching a sermon on Pentecost, he preaches this sermon where he says, you are all guilty of crucifying Jesus, the Messiah. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, it says this, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. The, Peter's words convicting them, saying, You are guilty for re rejecting Christ. And that just, that pierced their heart. And their response to that piercing of the heart is they respond to Peter and the rest of the apostles, and they say, What shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so it's recognizing that you're a sinner. It is repenting. It is coming to Christ. The amazing thing is if you go to Acts chapter 6, uh, verse 10, and you read all the way through the end of Acts chapter 7, what you find is that there, there was another man who preached a sermon, this, a very similar sermon. And he preaches this sermon, and the response of the people who heard that message very faithful, spiritually faithful man preaching a very similar sermon to the one that Peter preached. And so when he does that and he's preaching that righteously, the response, it says in verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged. Again, the same message, the same conviction of guilt, but the response is not humble repentance. It is not what can I do to be saved? These religious people are enraged, and they go and they kill Stephen. Incredible. This morning, uh, we're going to learn, basically, that it is our job to be faithful to believe the gospel and to preach it faithfully. 
how people respond um, is between them and God, but it is our job to know the Lord and to rightly represent him. So this morning, we're going to see three important things in our passage, and it's going to be Matthew 12, 33 through 50. And one of the things we're going to see here in this passage is that words reflect the heart. The things that we say are a reflection of what is really going on in our heart, and we need to evaluate ourselves. The second thing is that religion brings spiritual death. It's important that what we do in the church is not a focus on religion, but that it is a focus on the gospel message. And that is how we live each day, but it's also what we proclaim. And finally, we're going to see that a relationship with Jesus is available to everyone. People need to come to Jesus. So let's uh, open your Bibles and let's jump into Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, and we'll begin reading. But this comes in the context of the unforgivable sin. And um, Craig just talked about how uh, just the emphasis of the fact that, that a person can actually reject God's work in their life over and over and over, and eventually it's too late. You know, we think of God as being gracious and forgiving. One of my favorite verses in Isaiah 43, 25 and where God says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember your sins no more. God is a forgiving God, and he forgives people who come to him. And this is in the context of the Pharisees where God is showing himself to them. They are seeing these undeniable miracles, and they just continue to suppress that truth. And they speak, and they say things that reflect their heart. Let's look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Jesus just, uh, he's, he's referring to their rejection of him, uh, so, uh, attributing casting out a demon to the works of Satan instead of who Jesus was. And it says this, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. And then he's going to address these Pharisees, and he just tells them, you brood of vipers, a brood of vipers. You know, Satan is called a snake, and, and Jesus has told the Pharisees that, that they are of the father, their devil, the, the devil. He's indicated that, and here he calls them a brood of vipers, and he says, he, he defines the reason that they say the, the things that they're saying. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth what is good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned." an amazing thing that Jesus says here is that we speak from what fills our heart. And, and I want you to think back to that passage that we read of the Pharisee and the man who was the sinner, the tax gatherer, and they both spoke out of what filled their heart. And the Pharisee, what was good, what, who thought he was good, was a, a wicked, sinful man who was self-righteous. And this man who recognized his sinfulness is the one who was justified. 
and, and recognizing that. You know, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The mouth speaks out of what fills our heart. And the things that we need to speak, the things that needs to be in our heart, what we need to recognize is that we need Jesus. Romans 10 goes on in verse 13, and it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? It says, again, in Matthew chapter 10, it says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me, I will deny before my Father who are, who's in heaven. Words are a window into our heart, and salvation comes from what we see and believe about Jesus. One of the things that I think about is that even as believers, um, we, we can evaluate what is in our heart by the things that we say. Here's a, the second thing that we see here is that religion brings spiritual death. We need to be people who are focusing on the gospel message. There, there are many people who practice religion and they don't have any real relationship with God himself. Look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. These Pharisees, these religious people are going to demonstrate the fact that they don't know Jesus. Matthew 12, 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Now, this is the amazing thing. Jesus has done miracle after miracle. He has just cast a demon out of somebody, a miracle that they cannot deny. And they attribute that to Satan. And these religious people here are going to say, show us a sign. And look at Jesus' response in verse 39. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. Verse 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater then Solomon is here. You know, Jesus tells the Pharisees, you're going to reject me, and I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to raise from the dead in three days. That's the sign that you will have. He's predicting what they're going to do and his plan, which is to come and save people. And then he makes this connection to Jonah and to the queen of the south. You know, when you think about Jonah. It's one of the things as I look at this, Jesus is talking about Jonah, and you see that Jesus is always pointing to Scripture. He, he believes and he trusts his word. I mean, obviously, he wrote it. Um, he, he inspired it, and he is, um, he is 
proclaiming Jonah and using him as an example. Here's the thing to think about when it comes to Jonah. You know, Jonah was the absolute worst possible prophet. Uh, Jonah, actually, his attitude was very similar to the Pharisees. It's amazing that they could read the story of Jonah and then go live that out. They, they had no heart, no compassion for the lost. They were so prideful about the fact that they were born into the Jewish nation. And, and what Jesus talks about is the fact that Jonah, when you think about Jonah, Jonah was a terrible prophet. God sent him to Nineveh, and he said, no, I don't want to go because I know if I go that, that God will forgive the Ninevites. And so Jonah runs from God, and he gets on a ship, and there's this great storm. And one of the things that you see is that God is so powerful. Everywhere Jonah goes, God saves people. On that boat, those sailors, they cast Jonah into the sea, and, and we see in the book of Jonah that they come to Christ, that they actually put their faith in God. They trust God. And so God saves these sailors as Jonah's running away. And then we see in the story of Jonah that as Jonah is sinking, he starts to drown and he starts to lose consciousness. And as he's sinking, he prays and he just says, okay, God, forgive me. I'll go do what you told me to do. And God sends a fish to swallow Jonah to save his life. And that fish swims him to the shore, spits him up on the shore. And then Jonah goes into the, the city of Nineveh. And he goes across the city. And his message is not, a, not a necessarily a loving message. He just goes and he proclaims the truth. And he just says, in 40 days, God is going to destroy Nineveh. And then he goes and sits up on a hill to see what's going to happen. And the, the Ninevites, they hear that, they recognize that they're sinful, they recognize that they're in trouble, and they repent, and God forgives them. And, and we see that Jonah is, man, he's up there, and he's just upset. I knew this is what would happen, that you would forgive these people. And Jesus looks at the Pharisees, and he says, something greater than Jonah is here, and Nineveh repented. Jesus, the best prophet, the best missionary ever, and they are rejecting Jesus. And so he just says that this generation will rise up and condemn your generation because they repented and you didn't. The queen of, she of the south is the queen of Sheba, and she traveled to hear Solomon's wisdom, wisdom she recognized as coming from God. And these Pharisees rejected Jesus. You know, I think about um, the gospel, it's like this religion is just, it separates people from God because they think they're righteous. And a relationship with Christ, a focus on the gospel is what brings salvation. Look at James chapter 1 verse 21. It says, therefore, put away all filthiness and all rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You know, Jesus, when he addresses the Pharisees, one of the main things that he addresses in their life and in many of his conversations is that they mishandle the word of God. We see that in Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, where Jesus says, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Jesus' whole sermon, Matthew 5 through 7, is Jesus just saying, hey, this is what the Pharisees teach, but this is what is true. And we find out that the Pharisees approached scripture and they disregarded it. They didn't believe parts of it. They interpreted it however they decided they wanted to. 
Uh, they, they focused on one thing and ignored something else. And Jesus corrects their approach to Scripture. As believers and as we present the gospel, it's important that we humbly come to God's word, that we study it, and that we accept it for what it is, and that we proclaim and teach that truth. So what exactly is repentance? It says here that they're going to condemn it because they didn't repent. What exactly is repentance? You know, repentance is just knowing that that we are sinners, that we are separated from God. Matthew 5, 3, Jesus says this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, Being poor in spirit is to recognize that you are in trouble, separated from God, not good enough. And repentance, if you look at the message of repentance, Matthew 3, 1, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in Matthew 4, 17, so John the Baptist, the forerunner, preaches repentance. When Jesus comes, he preaches repentance. Uh, Matthew 4, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the whole New Testament, all the gospel writers, all of the New Testament writers write about repentance before God. Now, repentance is the work, it's responding rightly to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And and the Bible tells us this in John chapter 16, verse 8, talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, it's good for me to go, and when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and this is what the Holy Spirit is going to do. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And then he goes on and he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. The Holy Spirit convicts people that they are sinners, that Jesus is righteous, and that there's a coming judgment. And when we recognize that, when a person recognizes that, they turn away from their sinfulness. They turn to Jesus to rely on Jesus. And that's what it means to repent. It's to look to Jesus. You know, if you think about the thief on the cross, that's actually what happened. This man's lived a sinful life. He's being executed. He's hanging on the cross. And it's interesting that, that as, this, as one of the other thieves is hurling insults at Jesus, this thief that God saves, he says, we are sinners and Jesus is righteous. And then he cries out to Jesus and just says, remember me. That simple faith, that recognition that he is not good enough, but he needs Jesus. That is something that was completely missing from the life of the Pharisees. Look at verse 43. You know, Jesus has just cast a a demon out of a man, and and Jesus is going to talk about um, the significance of that. Look at verse 43 to 45, and he's just going to say, hey, religion, trying to clean up the outside is of no use. Look at this. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person... It passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. And then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept 
and put in order. And then it goes with it, it brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and they dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation. You know, that's what's wrong with trying to clean up a person's life is there's no spiritual power. Uh, trying to be a good person, trying to clean up your life. And, and that's one of the things that Jesus constantly does is he constantly in his ministry points to the significance of salvation versus external religion. And even this miracle that Jesus has just done in casting out this miracle, he says, no, it's, it's not whether or not the, the demon is cast out that's significant. It's whether this person has a relationship with God. You know, when uh, Jesus sent his disciples out and they came back and they were rejoicing that they were casting out demons and the things that God was doing through them. And Jesus says, he points to eternity and he says, salvation is what matters. Look at Luke 10, 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names were written in heaven. In Matthew 11, when Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, he again says, he points to eternity. He says, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Religion, cleaning up the outside, miracles, none of those things are significant. What is ultimately significant in life is if a person has a relationship with Christ. And that's the point of all the miracles that Jesus did, all the miracles that the disciples did, was to point people to him. Let's look at the third point here. A relationship with Jesus is available to everyone. So we need to come to Christ. Uh, look at this. It says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, again, Jesus points to eternity. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. So Jesus, we know, Jesus was born of a virgin, and so these are his half-brothers, because after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary had a normal relationship, and Jesus had brothers and sisters, the Bible teaches us. And when they come to talk to Jesus, Jesus says this, but he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister. You know, it's just awesome that Jesus, looking at his, his physical family, says, no, the significance is who is in my spiritual family. And Jesus has invited people to come to a relationship with him. And, uh, and what's, what's amazing is that in Jesus' life, his physical brothers didn't actually know him while Jesus was here on earth, but they came to know Christ after. And it's interesting, um, James, is, James and Jude, the writer of James, the book of James and the writer of Jude were Jesus' physical brothers. And we see that later in life, they actually became his spiritual brothers, James chapter 1, verse 1, James just writes this. He introduces his book by saying, James, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, a slave. James saw himself as the slave of his older brother, Jesus, because he saw who Jesus was. Jude, 
identifies himself, Jude, of Jesus Christ, a slave and a brother of James. Uh, they entered a right relationship with Jesus. So what does it mean to come to Jesus? Uh, it's basically to, to repent, to turn, to abandon your personal life and to embrace Jesus. Look at Philippians 3. This is the Apostle Paul about, talking about his coming to Jesus. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And then here's the key. You see that same humility, that same recognition of his unworthiness. He says, and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You know, as we think about just the difference between religion and a relationship with Christ, we're not trying to clean up the outside. And, and we come to Christ, every one of us who's a believer, we come to Christ. And not only do we receive Christ by faith, but our salvation is maintained by that same faith in Christ. We are not trying to earn or, or gain approval or do the right things. The, the behavior that comes, that comes out of our life is a reflection of a spiritually changed heart. It's not something that we do to earn salvation. And as we minister to people as a church, as we're shepherding and teaching our kids, we want to point people. We want to point every person in every relationship to a genuine relationship with Christ, not based on works, but based on faith. We're going to take a minute and we're going to celebrate now the Lord's Supper. And as we think about this, um, we could just remember the sign of Jonah that was Jesus' death and resurrection. And I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is what it says. Jesus says this in verse 1, and I'll, I'm going to read this in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word that I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. The gospel is good news. We received it and we stand in it. Look at verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Jesus died and rose again. And he died for our sins. And we trust him for that. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, think about and celebrate the fact that your standing before God is not based on your works. It's not based on your behavior. It is based on the salvation we receive by trusting Jesus. This is what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So as, as we take the bread, let's partake together. And as we eat this, let's remember that Jesus physically died for us. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Lord, thank you for the way that you reach out. I pray that you would help us to pursue a personal relationship with you, that we would share the gospel. Lord, that we would not be merely religious, that we would not merely proclaim uh, a favorable attitude towards you, but that we would proclaim the specifics of the gospel. Lord, thank you for giving us your word in your name. Amen.